This truth, regardless of what comes to mind when I say what is most important to you, what is your greatest priority? Because I know as a Christian, as a church member or someone who's visiting here who's attended church and calls yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, you know the church answer, right? You know the answer is I should focus my life on honoring the Lord. My life is about worshiping Jesus. We would, we would say that, we would affirm that. However, in daily practice, in the way we tend to live our lives, does that always play out in that way? What is it that consumes your heart? What is it that consumes your mind? What is it that when your head hits the pillow, what is it that you are cooking on that you can't sleep because this was said or this happened or this is going on in your bank account? Or what is it that concerns you the most in your life? And so consider this today as we look at the idea of priorities. The the, the definition, the simplest definition, as I Google searched it, the first one that pops up, the fact or condition of being regarded or treated as more important, right? So for instance, the safety of our country takes priority over any other matter. So that's how to use it in a sentence. So what is it that we consider to be the most important thing? And as you see today, as we are looking through in our sermon, our, um, our slides have a pumpkin spice theme for your enjoyment, right? So I did that just for y'all. Happy October. Um, I want you to look at this. So here, here is a, a list of priorities, I believe in a way that most of us would affirm in this order, right? So the most important thing under loving the Lord and loving people, right? Our first priority is our relationship with the Lord himself, right? After that, if you're married, it's your spouse, Right After that, and yes, after that, and not equal to, is your relationship with your kids. After that is other relationships with people, ministry relationships, extended family, right, friendships, etc. You notice this whole first chunk begins with the Lord and finishes out with people, right? So when Jesus says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he's asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. After that, we have these things that tend to take priority in our hearts. Stewardship and faithfulness of things like jobs and finances, our education, maybe even our hobbies, right? All good things, right? All good things, good things, gifts from the Lord. But when we put them out of order, that's when things start to fall apart in our lives. So we see this in Scripture, and we nod and we affirm, but isn't it all too easy for us to live very differently? So the real question then is this. What is most important to you? Like actually most important to you? And I don't doubt that your desire is for that answer to be Jesus. It's, it's my desire too. All day, every day, the most important thing in my heart, would that be Jesus? Praise the Lord, would that be the case? But we so often turn our feet to the right and to the left. We take our gaze off of the prize of the high calling of honoring Jesus Christ with our lives. You know, my job, it's adding so much stress to my marriage, but you know, my job's important. I've worked really hard for this career, and you know, that's, that's important too, right? My job, oh, I can't stop going to these adult websites, but I, I need this computer and access the internet for this reason, for that reason, for this reason, for that reason, right? I can't seem to stop being envious or jealous of other people as I look at their accounts on social media, but I mean, I gotta be connected. I would have missed that person's birthday if I, if I had left Facebook last week, so I gotta stay on social media, right? So... Our priorities, we can convince ourselves that things are very good and then other things will start to bump up in our hearts and take the priority and take our eyes off of the Lord. You see, our our priorities don't begin with a to-do list, but they begin with a proper heart set. 
Our priorities begin with an understanding of who or what is truly most important. And so the ultimate priority, I got the title for this sermon from a book by Dr. John MacArthur that I read years ago called Worship, the Ultimate Priority. And he defines worship in this way. You know, whenever I start a service, many times a month I will use this definition of worship. Worship is the response of a redeemed heart to who God is and to all he has done. But you know, I, I like Dr. MacArthur's simpler definition, even better than that one. He says this, worship is honor and adoration directed to God. And we can also say worship is honor and adoration directed to something. So when you direct your honor and your adoration to whatever, fill in the blank here, that shows you what you're worshiping at that given moment. But worship is honor and adoration directed to God. So that is Dr. MacArthur's definition. I also love uh, John Piper's, you know, kind of his mission statement for his ministry. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So if we say we, we direct our honor and our adoration towards the Lord is when we find our satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle John says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. His glory, his glory, right? John the Baptist comes along. John the Baptist comes along and he says, I'm unworthy to untie his shoes. He's someone that is so much greater than I. John Bon Jovi then just says, he says, we're living on a prayer. <laughs> All right, so let that be a lesson to you. Never go one John too far when you're making a point. Okay, everyone? So that's an important point you're going to want to write down. All right, so <laughs> Romans... <laughs> Romans 12.1 defines worship in this way. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The purpose of your life is to worship the Lord. And that sounds like a very a lofty thing to say. My life is about worship. You know where the problem comes in is when we start defining terms like that on our own terms without going to the scriptures on what that means. I'm going to worship the Lord with my life. It's just like saying a term like, it's all about love, man. But then when you say, okay, what is love? Define that for me. That's where things can fall apart if you don't let God himself define the word, right? And so worship is, is to lay ourselves down, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, to present your body as a living sacrifice. To worship is to present ourselves a living sacrifice. And how do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And why do we do that? For the glory of God the Father. And now, before I continue on, I want you to turn to our text, which is Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. And as you are finding your way there, I want you to consider this then. The ultimate priority of our life is this, to become more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. And how this plays out in your life and in my life can look a thousand different ways, right? We must seek to make these decisions. We make decisions uh, as, with an overarching goal of living as worshipers of the Lord. So you and I, when we leave this building today, each one of us are going to have very, very different decisions to make in our lives, correct? 
And so it's really hard to say, now, when you go out, I want you to do this. And that's being a Christian. That's showing your priorities in the right place. It's actually when your heart is set in the right place, you will be moving towards the greatest priority, which is the glory of Jesus Christ, right? How we defer to someone else in the car when you are disagreeing, right? How you show an expression to somebody in your family when you're tired and don't want to do whatever it is they've asked of you. How you respond to that request from work. Whatever that is, when the ultimate priority is the glory of Jesus Christ, that will define and help you to decide how to move in any given situation. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, one of the most helpful books I ever read, um, Dr. Cagle gave to me, Alan gave to me about eight or nine years ago, and I was thinking through some some decisions in life. It was a very simple little book, 100 pages long, uh, by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something. And ever since then, I hand that thing out like chicken feed. You know, anyone who asked me a question about what to do with my life, here's one. Take one of these, you know. I remember Alan told me about that book. Next thing you know, in my email inbox, I had a link to an, a, a digital version of it. I read it that night, you know. And so anytime I recommend that book to someone, like here's a copy of it. Come see me in my office, right? I hand it out. But here's a quote that I think is really important. So it says this, if you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. The only chains God wants us to wear are the chains of righteousness, not the chains of hopeless subjectivism, not the shackles of risk-free living, not the fetters of horoscope decision-making, just the chains befitting of a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Die to self live for Christ, and then do what you want, and go where you want for God's glory. God's will for your life is not very complicated. Obviously, living a Christ-like life is hard work, and what following Jesus entails is not clear in every situation. But as an overarching principle, the will of God for your life is pretty straightforward. Be holy like Jesus by the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Be holy like Jesus by the power of the Spirit for what? The glory of God. That's the ultimate priority of your life and of my life. Isn't that refreshing? Like, isn't that, doesn't that sound freeing as far as the way we kind of obsess over decisions in our lives? Why would I do this or this? Or how am I supposed to respond to this text I got that I didn't think was coming in? To think, Really, the only test as far as am I following the Lord or not? Am I trying to be like Jesus? Am I trusting in the Holy Spirit? It is my desire, the glory of God. If I do that and I can say honestly, truly in my heart, yes, move forward. Worship the Lord. Live your life in peace. So rather than obsess over every decision, Jesus speaks of the mindset, or I like to say the heart set of a faithful people. When you seek the things of God first, it permeates every area of your life. So what is holding us back from just setting a course and living a a faith-filled, Christ-centered life? You know, I think we have become really drowsy, right? In, in, In the West, as we follow the Lord, as we regardless of how things are changing around us politically as we enjoy this really unprecedented freedom to follow the Lord, 
um, the ability to, to buy whatever food we want, to live in nice houses, to get everywhere in cars that run well and are dependable. We can get kind of drowsy in our, just our walk with the Lord himself. And I think that really gets in the way. I hesitate to call um, these things that, that, that distract us a distraction. Because that implies that we're being passive and things are distracting us and, and we haven't chosen these things. I would like to call them more complacency, diversions, fear, fatigue. So many Christians come across as so powerless in their walk with Jesus because it's easy to fall into the rut of trying to live the Christian life under our own power. And again, we would affirm that that's not the way to be a Christian, but we try and we try and we try. And in an effort to be a good Christian, we can drift away from Christ. It's so ironic in an effort to try so hard in the busyness of ministry or the busyness of the Christian life and being in all the right places and posting all the right responses and memorizing all the right things and singing the right songs to represent our camp and not the weird camp and all these kinds of things. We try to do, we try to think this way and we can drift further and further away from the true prize, the true treasure, which is Christ himself. You know, this here, just last Wednesday, we had a regional training with uh, other EFCA pastors, right? And so one of the guests there was not a pastor, but his old friend of mine from uh, my former church named Jim Parrish. He heads up a ministry called Shepherd's Help, which is a ministry to pastors, to help them think things through well. If pastors are struggling, they offer help, they offer counseling, they offer even cohorts to put you with groups of other pastors just so you can walk, you know, shoulder to shoulder with other men in ministry. And so the leader of our region, uh, Glenn Schreiber, a lot of you know him, when Jim was introducing himself to the group, he asked him, what trends are you seeing while you are ministering to pastors? And it's funny because I feel like the question was meant to like, what are the troubles they're going through? Like, I, th- I think what we all expected to hear were things like depression, anxiety, discouragement, burnout, things like this. He bypassed all of those things and went straight to the foundation, straight to the root. He says, pastors are neglecting their own souls. He says they're so busy with life that they have no real intimacy with Jesus. Where are our priorities? And you know, it's funny because I hear that, and I hear him say that, and I was thinking, I'm putting this sermon together this week. I said, this is not simply pastors. This is most people, probably most of the time. I think we can get so exhausted by the schedules we're keeping, the calendars we're keeping, all of the outward, all of the externals, we say those things have to go. I have to meet that work deadline. I have to be here. I have to do this thing. I have to look a certain way. I have to be able to do this, 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 and this. Nobody sees my personal time with the Lord. So maybe I can get by one more day. Certainly he'll understand. I'm busy. I'm doing it all for him, aren't I? And the ultimate priority would be instead that we run, that we run to the Lord, that we get our strength, that we get our, our encouragement. We get everything we need to follow him from him, himself. So we take our eyes off of Jesus. We don't take time to consider our own souls. We stray so far from the path of living for the glory of Jesus that we find ourselves stuck. So I just want to say this before we jump into our text. You can tell a lot of a person by the direction of his or her eyes and the direction of his or her feet. Where are you looking and what are you planning and where are you headed? How you answer these questions will depend on your priority. So, be holy like Jesus, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. So we have three points today. They're brief points that we'll work through with our text from Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. And the points are these. Look, plan your journey, and go. And so let's read our text together now, Proverbs 4, 25 through 27. Let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So our first point is simply this. Our first point is to look. You hear these phrases all the time. Keep your eyes on the road. I'm teaching a teenager to drive currently. Keep your eyes on the road. Look at me in my eyes. Don't look down or keep your eyes on the goal. Why is it so important where we are looking? You know, you ever sit down and talk with somebody and you kind of have to find their eye contact because they're looking past you all the time? It, it kind of derails the conversation a little bit, right? Or you feel, are you very distracted right now? Because as you're talking to the person, they're looking this way, they're looking that way. There's anything that goes by appears to be more important than this conversation that's happening. And as I'm getting eye contact with some of you, I can see that you're affirming it. It's so important, the direction of our eyes. You can tell a lot about a person from the way that they are looking. So I look here in Matthew where it says, And Peter answered him, Lord, as if it is it you, command me to come to you on the water. So this is, the disciples are in a boat. The water is contrary, or the water is, you know, a mess. And they're terrified for their lives. They look out, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they're scared at first. But then they realize that it's Jesus. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. So far, so good. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So he comes out, he's looking at Jesus, he's walking, this is going great, and the minute he starts to look around and say, there's a lot of wind around here, these waves are looking pretty terrifying, that's when you start to sink, to keep your eyes on Jesus, very literally in this situation, but in your life in the same way. Listen, there are going to be difficulties happening in our lives every day until we go home to be with him. Right, some bigger, some smaller. I even look out today and just see some of the faces that are representing our church family now to me, and I just think to myself, some of y'all are going through some difficult things. And I would encourage you today, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. There is coming a day where there will be no more sorrow and no more tears and no more hurt and no more worries and anxiety and depression and pain, and medical problems, there's coming a day. But unless he comes back, today's not that day. But he'll walk with us through it, so keep your eyes on him. You know, it would be helpful for some of us sometimes to have some blinders. Have you ever seen a horse wearing blinders, right? See, the horse wearing blinders is funny because the first time you see it, you wonder, how could that possibly be a good thing? But even try that for a minute. Take your hands, just put them up here on either side of your eyes. Go ahead, try that. It's actually quite calming. I tried it during the music. I said, I'm going to have the people try this. Let me try it as well. It just takes out anybody you're worried about what they think of you. (laughs) It takes out whatever it is you came here with. You're just, okay, there's a guy preaching a sermon. I'm going to listen to that guy. The blinders blinders can be very helpful, right? So I went. I was wondering. I thought to myself, 
Why do horses wear blinders? So I went where anyone else would go. I went to horseracingsense.com. After Googling, why do horses wear blinders? And I found four, four primary reasons. And if you just re- replace horses with people, this is so people. So listen here. It says, horses wear blinders to reduce their field of vision and stay focused on their tasks. When pulling loads or racing, horses are easily distracted. Horses that pull wagons in cities need blinders to keep their attention focused straight ahead and block out the distractions around them. And then in four bullet points, it says this. They wear blinders to shield vision, to stay focused, to pull straight, and finally, to reduce stress, right? To keep their eyes on the goal. You're going there. What's happening next to me? Doesn't matter what's happening next to you. What matters is you're going that way. Just keep walking, right? Isn't that good advice for us today? What's happening on this side of my life, on this side of me, what's happening in this person or this household's life, doesn't matter. You just focus on Jesus and keep walking. You're going to get where you're going eventually. You just trust the Lord. And even more so in Matthew 5, 29, considering what our eyes see and what they, can, what they can do in our lives, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Remember I talked about some of those priorities earlier. And I brought them up in things like my job, right? My job could be adding so much stress. It's adding stress to my marriage. And, but you know, both things are important. Almost in many people's hearts, equally important. I've worked so hard to get where I am today. Or the person who would say, I can't get off of these inappropriate websites, but I have to have this computer in my bedroom, or I have to have access to this phone, which is internet enabled at all times. Or I'm so envious of other people on social media, and it makes me sick. I can't enjoy my own family. I can't enjoy my own life because I'm so worried about what, you know, Fred from middle school is up to today, you know? I, I just had a sandwich for lunch. Boy, he went to a restaurant. What? You know, how is that okay? But Jesus comes along and he says, if, some, if your eye causes you to sin, if the things you are seeing are causing you to sin, pluck it out, tear it away, get rid of it. Are we that serious about our ultimate priority? If our ultimate priority is to become like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and the goal is the glory of the Lord himself, do we take it that serious or we say, well, you know what? I can do away with other things. If you are in a job and there's someone at that job who is tempting you and that person is not your spouse, and no matter what you do, you can't get away from that temptation, quit your job. It's not like your marriage is this important and your job is this important. It's an infinity to a negative infinity comparison. This is your marriage before the Lord. If you can't stop going to particular websites or going, looking at particular things on your device, get a different device. They still sell flip phones. Get the computer out of your bedroom and put it in the living room where everybody is. Pluck out your eye. It's not a matter of the purity before the Lord and also your ability to stay connected are equally important. Get your priorities straight, right? The ultimate priority, to become like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father. If you are so envious of other people every time you get on Facebook, you know the world won't stop if you get off of Facebook, right? Like the world will continue to turn. You don't have to know what all is going on. And if you miss a birthday because you're not on Facebook, the person will forgive you. I promise. But are you willing to make hard decisions in order to keep the ultimate priority, the ultimate priority? So I ask you this. What are you looking at? 
What is your focus? What is your motivation? What is it you want in your life? What tends to distract you? What makes you jealous to threaten, to sidetrack your plans? You know, a good friend of mine in my former ministry, he would ask people this question pretty early on in a friendship. He would say, if you were to go completely off the rails, meaning to succumb to your greatest temptations and just stop caring, what would you be doing? That's a very vulnerable question to ask, isn't it? You know, I would kind of doubt that he ever got the full 100% answer to that question, you know, from anybody. But I guarantee you, if I ask you that question, something comes to mind, doesn't it? If you were to go completely off the rails, you just didn't care anymore, what would that life look like? So whether or not you ever to share that with somebody, you need to know what that is, and you need to have safeguards in your life to keep your priorities straight, to make a life that honors the Lord. So you would know what are the greatest places of temptation in your life. Know it, pray, and set up safeguards to avoid anything in your life that even looks like that. I even watched, you know, finally, just as we think about looking and the direction of our eyes, you know, I watched a short video on YouTube last week, and I was looking, because I always heard people talk about this when it comes to intercepting passes in football. They would say, you always watch the quarterback's what? Eyes. Wherever he's looking, that shows the intent. Where you are looking, what your life is about and what you can't stop talking about and what is most important to you is very obvious. Sometimes it's not obvious to you, but it's very obvious to the people around you. No matter how much you think, you're masking it, right? Your priorities can be pretty obvious to the people around you. So you watch the eyes. Where a person's looking will tell you very much about that person. So the first point was look. The second point is plan your journey. So verse 26 says, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And just, you know, I I can't, you know, take every one of these concepts. We don't have time today to really work through all of this. But included in pondering the path of your feet feet and your ways being sure, um, as you sit and you contemplate the goal of your life being the glory of the Lord himself and the worship of the Lord because he is worthy... Included in this are concepts like contentment, satisfaction, surrender, and humility. And as we ponder the path of our feet towards the end of God's glory, we must seek to put God's first, God first, seek to place others' needs above our own, and seek to lay our lives down for the sake of following Jesus. And as we ponder the path of our feet, You think about whatever that goal is. You think about that goal of honoring the Lord. You contemplate, what does a life where this is the case, what does that life look like? It's important for you to think about this. What kind of decisions would I make if that was honestly my goal? If becoming like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father was truly my goal, what would my life look like? Would I change anything? Does anything need to go? Be honest with yourself. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. You see, living the Christian life is a life that honors Jesus and loves Jesus above all other things. Being a Christian is not praying a prayer because you're scared of hell. It's loving Jesus above all things and becoming more like him every day. To have a greater purpose for doing what you do, to avoid living a passive life where all options are always on the table, and there's a sense of security in making wise moves that, are, that are, are governed by loving Jesus and glorifying the Lord himself. 
And this is how we eliminate like the what ifs and the anxieties of life as well. What if I miss this great opportunity? What if I should have gone here and not there? What if I should have gone to this college and not that college? You know what? Can you honor Jesus? Can you love Jesus in the decision you're about to make? Is there a place where you can grow? Go do that. It's okay. What do you want to do? Right? And it's all right. You're not going to sit around with a life of regret if every decision you make is a desire to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I guarantee you that. Our third point is this, is simply go. In the verses, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And so this is not to mean that, there, that, that this is some sort of middle way, right? When he says, don't turn to the right or to the left, he's not saying, well, there's like multiple ways to go and you go right down the middle. No, there's two ways to go. There's away from Jesus and there's towards Jesus. So there's anything that contrasts a life that is designed to honor the Lord with, with all that you say and do is a life that is going the wrong direction, a life that is living outside of, of, of love for Jesus. You know, so I said this earlier, you can, you can know a lot about a person by the direction of their eyes and also the directions of their feet. A good friend of mine used to tell me, when you are talking with someone, Make sure your feet are pointed towards that person, right? It's very obvious. So if I'm after the sermon today, I'm like, oh, game's at one o'clock. Got to get out of here. And you stop me and say, I got to share something with you today. If you're here and my feet are pointed towards the door as we talk, you kind of know a lot about this conversation, don't you? Right? And I remind myself a lot just over the years. It's been years since this person told me this thing. So I always try to remember Everything about you, focus on that person. Wherever your feet are headed, that's kind of where you're desiring to be, right? So point your feet. To, you, you, you know um, where it says, do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. See, the Christian life is not passive, and we must be intentional in our walk with Jesus. So we set a course, and we follow it. So I want to ask you this question. When it comes to the priority of worshiping the Lord... What do you want to celebrate or what do you want to be celebrated at the end of your life? What do you want to be known for? What do you want people to say, this person, fill in the blank here. This person never missed a day of work. This person had so much money, it was crazy. This person was so good at golf, I couldn't even believe it. This person loved Jesus with all his heart. This person loved Jesus with all her heart. Set a course and follow it. You know, once, uh, just to, coming into closing today, I woke up one morning about seven years ago to news that one of our church members had passed away. This is at my former church. Had passed away in the night. And this was not someone with any illnesses to speak that anybody knew about, probably late 40s, early 50s, teenage sons, uh, had come off the mission field from serving in China for a number of years, just one of the most wonderful church members, had a heart attack that night, and the Lord took him home. This is the first time I had ever been part of this kind of visit. So the lead pastor called me, and we went, and we visited with the family. And so I was there really learning and listening and just trying to be an encouragement to people all I could. First thing I saw him do, he said, as I preached the funeral, can I borrow his Bible, the man's Bible? His name was Doug. He said, can I hold on to Doug's Bible until the end of the, the ceremony? He said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the wife said, yes, absolutely. And, and afterwards, he shared with me, he said, you know what I do? He said, I like to go through, when someone's followed the Lord for so long, I like to go through their Bible, 
and look at their notes. And I like to look at, at what they've underlined. And what does it seem like? What's really well-worn? Where have they gone many, many times in the Word? He says, that's where how I decide what to preach at their funeral. Because what is it that they just loved about the Word of God? And you know, um, for me, if you look through this one, it's like every day I read this Bible with my pen in my hand, I think about what I'm writing because it's going to be read one day. What do you want to be known for? The love for Jesus Christ. Set a course and follow it. You know, it's amazing, just as we close, um, I reached out to, to Caleb Gauthier, who's a pilot, and uh, he, sh- he shared with me some information that I thought was interesting. I'd heard this being said before in a sermon years ago, but how the math works out, if you just divert to the right or to the left a tiny bit if you're flying an airplane, what you look up, up there, you see a two-degree angle, right? If you are in an airplane and you turn that airplane just by two degrees in one direction or another, a tiny little bit, and this is the information he gave me. He says, two degrees off, you fly for 60 miles, you're going to be two miles away from the course that you had set. So you, you plan to be over here, you're going to be two miles away from the place just by being two degrees off. If you go 6,500 miles, you'll be 217 miles off. So you're trying to fly to Jacksonville, and you're somewhere south of central Florida just because you were two degrees off, right? So that's why you need to keep your eyes on the goal for the rest of your life. I had another uh, little artistic deal here. So I don't do drawings as well as Pastor Allen, but I do. I'm kind of a Canva guy, right? So as you can tell, I'm very gifted in graphic design. All right, so same kind of thing. Let's say you start in California, just these little degrees. See how much a tiny little turn, right, could wind up in New York, or in Virginia, or Georgia, or Florida, or if you turn south, you'll wind up in Alaska, right? It's crazy. So, and then actually, if you look at the story of your life as well, it's the same way, right? So you, you set out to follow Jesus, and you could have a, a shipwreck, or a dumpster fire, or just a big explosion, or again, you could wind up in Alaska, and nobody wants that. So, <laughs> but seriously, as we consider the goal of our life, which is simply to become more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. You set a course and you keep your eyes on him, but you're going to find as you're walking straight, your feet, sometimes you go to the right and sometimes you go to the left. But we are promised, the Lord says, he's begun a good work in you and he's the one who's going to complete it, right? When I fear my faith will fail, it's Christ that will hold me fast. He's the one that holds me securely. And that is because even though we were each born with a sin problem and hopelessly separated from a holy and perfect God, with no way to fix it on our own, Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life that you and I could never live, died a death on the cross that you and I righteously and justly deserve to die, rose again three days later, conquering sin and death in the grave, and says, come to me, repent of your sin, and follow me. And if you are in Christ, you have this new desire, you have this new bent to follow him. And even as we skin our knees, and even as we fall, and even as we fail, we continue to run to him, and he picks us up and dusts us off, and says, I paid for your sin, and you are mine, and you will be with me both now and every day for all of eternity. So the call is this. If you are a believer this morning, 
and your priority is anything other than the glory of Jesus Christ, come before the Lord, repent, ask him to help you, turn and follow Jesus. And if you hear this morning, you don't know Jesus, you don't love Jesus, you need to follow him. You need to turn from your sin, you need to repent. He's the Lord of your life. He'll give you a new heart, all for his glory. Let's pray and then we'll move into our time of communion. Lord God, you are good to us. We thank you that you have promised uh, that you love us, would never leave us or forsake us, Lord. For those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come for your glory. We thank you for the cross. We thank you now that as we celebrate what you have done on our behalf and we just reaffirm our our ultimate dependence on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would strengthen us in the ultimate